this episode... I get uh, invited to speak at Mobile World Congress. And it's uh, the middle of the pandemic. Oh, you know, there is uh, the pandemic going on. So actually, in order to access, uh, we are using facial recognition. So you need to upload your passport. And we're in Europe. And in Europe, we have something called GDPR. Uh, so data protection. Something is like feels wrong. are actually in breach of GDPR and they were fined 200,000 euros. I'm looking forward to being invited now as a keynote speaker to that. No. Yeah, uh, that right. Good luck with that. <laughs> Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan. And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. And as we flagged a little while ago, we are interspersing the regular Sean and Mark show with a series of special guests. And we're aiming to do like one in four special guests. And I had the pleasure of bumping into today's guest uh, at in San Diego in mid-May at, at a conference there. So uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Anastasia Deryuhina. Yeah, And I probably pronounced it. <laughs> no, you got it perfectly right, you I'm sure. You pronounced it perfectly, Mark. Hey. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Nice to be here. Oh, oh. Well, it's, it's great to have you here. And um, there was an incident that occurred at the conference where, where Anastasia and I met, which we'll talk about later, but uh, a very eclectic character we have on the uh, on the show with us today. Okay. Um, uh, Anastasia's lived in many countries, I think six different countries. She studied in Italy, Germany, the US, um, had a career in kind of the big end marketing and had a life-changing event in 2014, 2015. And she formed her company, which is Consciously Digital, in 2015. And we're going to be talking about that. Um, now, that's led her to write a book, give multiple TED Talks, uh, and attend conferences uh, all over the world. So welcome welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Thank yeah. you very much. Now, I hear that you also have, uh, in this all this study, you did a PhD. What was your PhD subject? What did you write about um, back then? Comparative analysis of media systems in Italy, Germany, and the UK. It was uh, still pre-internet era, and basically what I was trying to understand is uh, why like a newspaper or a TV channel that's popular in Italy uh, would never be popular in the UK, and how kind of all the origins uh, of you know our literacy, our religion actually determines the way that our media uh, describes the world. Wow, how interesting. Uh, anyway, we'll have to take that one off the offline because I <laughs> I, suspect I can get excited about this. <laughs> I, I'll give you a little, just tiny slither. Mark's shivering now at this point. Uh, but there is uh, really interesting differences in how people tell stories across. And you, I'm sure you would imagine, uh, you would have researched this. So that's what I'd love to talk to you about is and maybe we need to have that as a topic in a future podcast. But uh it's a fascinating topic. Oh, well, that's that's great. But anyway, back yeah. to you, Mark. Back to you. No, oh, no, I'm just no. I'll, I'll be the 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 uh, the third wheel in this conversation. I I can already sense that. All right. So, um, I've, I've got a, a. I would love to have a conversation with you, Anastasia. What does it mean to be consciously digital? means that uh, you are in control of your devices as opposed to their telling you what to pay attention to and how to pay attention to and when. Um, and it actually started as my personal story. <laughs> 
when I was working in a dream job in digital marketing uh, for an advertising agency in London. And my client was a top three uh, big tech brand. So, you know, all this uh, lovely perks with free food and, uh, you know, table tennis and amazingly talented people all around you. And I kind of hated it. Um, <laughs> I didn't have the hate the environment, but uh, I hated what I was doing because I used to be journalist before. And it was all very meaningless. You know, it was all about like moving numbers in the spreadsheet, Excel. Uh, you know, like yeah. increasing your click for rate by 0.001%, making people click on yet another cat video. So basically, really soul killing. Uh, but the environment was great. And uh, one of the extra perks, uh, one of the extra perks, Yes. Unexpected one was that um, everyone in that environment was checking their devices all the time, uh, including because we were working across multiple time zones. This was happening at night. It's not that anyone expected you to do that, but it was kind of the normal. So I caught myself at some point waking up at night and, you know, at 3 a.m. Uh, checking my emails uh, just because or, uh, you know, swiping my phone uh, so often that my right thumb actually started to feel numb. So at that point, wow. I thought, mm, something feels wrong. You know, I'm being paid good money to do creative work. And actually, all I'm doing is <laughs> just being a reactive machine in a way. Uh, so when my contract came to an end, I decided not to extend it and to take a break. And to take a proper break and think about what I want to do next, I actually got rid of my smartphone, which was never planned to become a big thing. Or it was never planned to even become a public thing. But so it happened when I did that, I actually started uh, to have to explain to people why they can't contact me via the smartphone, why they have to... Uh, you know, send me a text message to a dumb phone. Yeah. The only game I had it was a snake. Uh, and people started asking questions. And the questions were not like, oh, why are you so weird? But actually the questions were like, oh, do you coach others how to do that? Like, oh, that's coach weird. Yeah. And it just continued happening, especially from my colleagues who were working in technology. So I thought, hmm, maybe there is a problem there. So basically I went to qualify as a coach, um, as a life coach, uh, Continued this lifestyle without a smartphone for a year and a half, started researching a little bit, you know, what was it so appealing about, um, you know, having a smartphone. And it took me six months, you know, I'm telling now this is a nice story, but actually it took me six months to properly get rid of it. I was still moving my SIM card yeah. uh, between, um, between my dumb phone and the smartphone. And uh, basically trying to understand, you know, how to fix myself. <laughs> I got into neuroscience, uh, started reading about addictive design. And then one thing followed the other. And basically the whole field exploded uh, with the scandal with Cambridge Analytica. Everyone started speaking mm -hmm. about, you know, how social media can be also toxic uh, and that we need to do something about it. And I just happened to be in the right place in the right wow, time. So that's by that time I had a book written, TED Talk. And then started getting uh, too much work, actually. I needed somebody to refer this work to. So that's how I ended up creating the certification course uh, that currently is probably one of the biggest areas of my business. So we are now, uh, I have trained now 120 people 
just graduated uh, the ninth cohort uh, last week. And they all work with organizations or with schools or with parents or with individuals, helping yeah. them basically mm. create healthier digital habits. Who would have and, thought? Who would have and, told me? <laughs> and have you stayed with the uh, the dumb phone or have you learned how to ah. use a smartphone in a smarter way? I mean. Right, right. You know, as I say, only one of us can be smart. It's either me or my phone. <laughs> <laughs> so right now, unfortunately, it's my phone that's smart now. I So I lived uh, with a dumb phone for a year and a half. Yeah. Then uh, paradoxically, because of the work that I started to travel more, given the stocks, I actually ended up having to have a smartphone. Uh, but I have some rules around it. Yes. Um, and the way some to do rules it. around like, you know, like I, I don't have any social media on it. Um, I rarely check my emails on it. So it's mm. literally, it's for chats, um, like Signal or Telegram. I don't use WhatsApp uh, for privacy reasons. Yeah. Um, I don't read news from it. Um, and um, so it's it's very like, let's say that I leave it in peace much more than I pick it up. That's good. That's great. So you must be, um, well, I imagine you'd be right into the research in this space. Um, and because uh, I've been following a little bit with Jonathan Haidt and his work showing essentially the demise of or increasing anxiety uh, amongst teenagers, particularly very linked to uh, smartphone use and social media use in particular. Um, and of course, the work of BJ Fogg in in California, more or less stoking the fire of uh, these types of addictive uh, applications. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that's jumping out for you in that space at the moment in terms of new things that people are learning or, or I don't know, things that we need to watch out for in this world? Yeah, there are two things. So in terms of specifically our attention, I would definitely um, suggest that everyone um, check out the new book by Gloria Mark, uh, Attention Span. Uh, so Gloria Mark is one of the top researchers in human attention and how it's impacted by technology. And one of the things she's, uh, well, there are two main ideas that um, I think are interesting for us. Uh, one thing is that she's saying that our attention span is decreasing. Mm. And if uh, we used to switch tasks on the computer um, just in 2004, about every two and a half minutes, now we do it between every 44 to 50 seconds, uh, which means that it's really difficult to keep your reader's attention if you're talking about, for example, writing a story or even doing a video, right? Now the video mm. even has to be under one minute. I don't know if still anyone is listening to us. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, that that's truth, right? So we don't actually even have the attention span anymore. Uh, by attention span right now, I mean uh, the ability to focus on one task without interruption. We are interrupted yeah. by technology. And the second thing she's talking about is that uh, we are obsessed with this idea that we have to be productive. Um, but actually, we're not like machines. Yeah, um, It's a machine that can be productive 24-7. We're confusing ourselves with computers. Mm -hmm. The truth is humans have um, what she talks about, um, attention valleys yeah, and attention peaks. So attention peak is when it, you're at your best. Um, and for most people, it tends to be uh, shortly after breakfast, so like 10, 11 a.m., not right at the start of the workday, but mm. a little bit like an hour later. And then um, midday, uh, probably around 3, 4 p.m., and then it just goes down. Goes downhill what from that, there. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and you're done. What that means yeah. is like that the whole idea of an eight-hour workday is a stupid idea because you cannot be productive. You know, like you're not working in the factory anymore. Uh, if you're a knowledge worker, you work with information. Your attention span is different. So you know, when we're trying to force ourselves and we like to be focused, productive throughout the day, uh, using caffeine, you know, using these things. When we're not planning, for example, around our peak attention time, our top activities, um, and instead we're, you know, scheduling some unnecessary meetings, uh, we actually are not getting the best of being a human. Yeah, we're trying to become a secondhand machine and we will always be inferior uh, in the competition with machines just because, you know, they can do that better. Yeah, uh, we can do other yeah. things better, like, like storytelling. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, there's so many factors rolling around. However, I, I, there's contradictory elements to all this, right? So mm-hmm. why if you get this attention span getting shorter and on the other hand, we have the likes of Tim Ferriss who can do a long-form podcast that goes for two hours. So how does that square, right? Yeah. Uh, it, so, and there's not, not he's not the only one, right? There's a lot of yeah. people who are doing long-form podcasts. and Because I always hear this in talking to organisations. They go, oh, no, people oh. can't focus that long on something. And I'm going, but yeah, but people are listening to hour and a half podcasts. How does that work? Well, uh, and, yeah. and Sam Harris, he's got three, four hour podcasts and I love them. I mean, yeah. I just, you know, I just, yeah, I jump yeah. in the car and I go, oh, a bit of time with Sam. A bit of time. Well, with Sam. there are a couple of things. First, nobody ever listens to podcasts without doing anything else. Uh, people listen to podcasts while they're doing or household chores or while they're driving or while they're running. Yes. Uh, so that's multitasking. Mm. Uh, problem with multitasking is that you can do it very well when one of the activities is not cognitively demanding. Yeah. Yeah. So you can load the dishwasher and listen to the podcast. The moment uh, there are two competing tasks that, you know, like you need to write a report and there is an email coming in, you're multitasking, you are actually task switching because humans don't do multitasking well we, our brains yeah. are not created for that and this undermines the performance and this increases the stress so after about 20 minutes of uh interrupted performance our levels of cortisol go up so that's the first thing but second thing what you're pointing to i think is very interesting because we have this natural antibodies in the society yeah that are rising to help us slow down uh, and there is another author in the book um, I would highly recommend called Carl Honore, uh, like uh, spelled as H-O-N-O-R-E, uh-huh. uh, French last name. Uh, the book is called In Praise of Slow, and he's basically the advocate of slow. And that's exactly what he's discussing, how our world that encourages us to speed up yeah. uh, actually also develops natural antibodies. If you look at, uh, you know, the number of people who are qualifying as yoga meditation teachers, even without uh, going ahead and trying to make money with that, um, it's just skyrocketing. Uh, if you look into, you know, any kind of uh, wilderness courses, you know, kind of go stay with your tribe with the fire in the woods for five days, uh, they're skyrocketing. So I think this two-hour, three-hour podcast is also very much within the same line. You know, it's our 
big desire to, uh, you know, get together around the fire again. Yeah. Listen to somebody telling us the story and develop this oxytocin because we know that uh, when people are telling the stories or when we're listening to a story, we are telling the story, we're developing oxytocin. Uh, the neurohormone of bonding uh, and trust. And, uh, you know, and it needs time to be yeah. developed. So yeah. I think that's natural think antibody. The, it's interesting. This, this slow movement is uh, really uh, happening at pace, which is ironic, at pace. Um, one of our friends, uh, sort of uh, professional friends, is a guy in the UK called Johnny Moore. And Johnny has just written a book called Unhurried Conversations, right? Very much similar guys. He's a beautiful writer. The book is highly worth having a look at because you can read it in 90 minutes and it gives you these real practical skills on um how to run these types of unhurried conversations. Yes, that's good. It's, it's, um, I'm glad to see, and I see Cal Newport, you know, the productivity guy, he's writing a book at the moment called slow productivity. Right. So, you know, there's a theme yeah, going yeah. on here. Well, what's happening Absolutely. here? Yeah. <laughs> wish, wish. I wanted. Yeah, go ahead. So now I just wanted to add one more thing to, um, the slowing down conversations. Uh, so Sherry Turkle, uh, one more person to read, uh, alone but together and she does speak about you know how our devices actually when they're present uh they lead to a superficial conversation because people are switching attention so you always you know there is a group of three four people and you always expect somebody to pick up their phone in the middle of the conversation exactly <laughs> yes put that down now. <laughs> yeah we and, saw that sean for anyone yeah, who's exactly. not, not watching the video sean has just no that was an illustration <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's and another interesting thing, there was a study that was done when um, groups of people, so just they were put in pairs and they were asked to uh, rate the conversation with each other uh, and their partner, like how interested their conversation partner was in them. And basically, uh, the pairs that had their phones on the table, even if the phones were face down, yeah. rated the conversation as less intimate, uh, their conversation partner as less, less interested in them. Wow. So it's just this, this actually expectation that, you know, somebody can interrupt. We're literally talking about the elephant in the room, huh? Yeah. <laughs> the elephant of that size, but it's an elephant. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's so interesting, you know, because I remember the the days when mobile phones, you know, came into existence and we're talking way back when, and there were these big, chunky, you know, phones with aerials on it. But in those early days, people didn't really know how to do anything with them. The, 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 if you like, the rules of engagement weren't known at all. And I remember going into this meeting with this fellow who'd obviously just got his new mobile phone. And in the middle of the meeting, so we're having this meeting, phone rings, he just takes the call. Like I'm sitting just across a one-on-one -on -one meeting. He takes the call and talks. For t I, I walked out of the meeting, you know. Wow. And, and, and I think it's taken us how long? This is like 20 years. It's probably taken more than 20 years to start to work out how to really use a technology it's it's i think it's because there's so many factors drawing us the other way right because of bj fogg's work and others you know to addict <laughs> us to these types of uh, technologies now we should yeah. move on we well just on. there's a there was a um a, a years ago uh, well back in the in the noughties uh 
uh, when running leadership programs, um, I used to make the, I, I had a cardboard box yeah. and I would get all the participants to put their phones in the cardboard box and put that in the corner of the room mm -hmm. out and oh, the resistance, the resistance. It was really? incredible. I hated and, it. Oh, hey, oh, it was, it was so <laughs> painful for people to put their phone in that, in that cardboard box. And uh, one, one, I remember one particular moment where a, a, a sales guy, you know, very senior sales guy, he's going, I am not putting my phone in that box. What if a client calls me with a million dollar deal? I'm not missing that deal because my phone was in a stupid box in the corner. And one of his one of his colleagues said, oh, you idiot. Like if, if they've got a million dollar deal, you think they're going to throw that away because you didn't answer your phone first time. They're going to leave a voicemail and you're going to call them back. Yeah, you know, when did you last lose a million dollar deal because you didn't answer the phone the first time and yep. anyway it was a nice bit he of self-regulation he calmed down he, calmed he down did calm down he put his phone in the box and um but it was it was uh it was one of the best you know i really enjoyed running that program and maybe a big part of that was that no phones there was no phones now our audience of course tune into this podcast because they want to hear a a story or maybe multiple stories that they can then retell right and and i believe there's mark you've got you've had an experience with well, Anastasia, yeah. didn't you that you, there well, might be a good story here right oh there is a good story so um you know i gave a, i was speaking at the at the association for talent development um conference in uh, in san diego were you also speaking on that uh on the, on the yep on the, the speaker role, all right. I was so, speaking about memory and learning in the digital age, how our uh, devices affect the way we memorize and learn, and what it means for people who are creating learning and development programs. Interesting, right? Right. So mine was on the topic of mystery stories and how they help retention and engagement. And uh, one of the uh, I, I got people to pair up and talk about a time when they made it when they made a real difference and essentially asked the audience who heard a good story and the person who was working with Anastasia was going so Anastasia got the mic and I, I, I must say I was advised not to do that particular activity right so people said oh what if it's a terrible story but it wasn't so it was that was that was great so I wonder if you would uh, kind of I don't know are you prepared to kind of replay what you what you said in the room that day I already forgot, but I think the story the, the story that I told you on the day was the story of how I got rid of the smartphone, but I can tell you a different story. Okay, <laughs> well, what was your story? Uh, I have yeah. a second story, which you haven't heard. Okay, uh, okay. so uh, 2021, I'm already an established speaker, and uh, I get uh, invited to speak at Mobile World Congress. So for those who don't know, um, it's kind of the Oscars of the mobile industry in Barcelona. And it's uh, the middle of the pandemic. And um, I'm all very excited. And they put me on the panel, which is not the very exciting panel, you know, like a something diversity in technology. And unfortunately, these topics are not very well attended. But I think, eh, okay. You know, that's okay because I can still, you know, like go and network there. It's like, it's a huge conference, even much bigger than ATD and it's potentially all my clients. 
Um, long story short, uh, about a week before the event is uh, supposed to happen, uh, they write to me and they say, oh, you know, there is a uh, pandemic going on. So actually, in order to access, uh, we are using facial recognition. So you need to upload your passport. And we're in Europe. And in Europe, we have something called GDPR. Uh, so data protection um regulation which actually gives you an opportunity to opt out which i happen to know because i work in this area i'm not a lawyer but I'm, i've heard of that let's put it yes. this way mm -hmm. so right back to them and say hey you know i understand that but actually i would like to opt out can i just come with a passport and show you you know in an old-fashioned way my passport and you can see that i am in this passport it's the same person and they say no you cannot do that it's a pandemic we're protecting you against the COVID. you have to upload your passport and something is like feels wrong, you know, like how is that, you know, me uploading my passport, helping you protect me and 20,000 other attendees against COVID. It's that just things don't, you know, uh, connect. Anyways, we're having this uh, conversation for about a week, everything in email. I ask for their legal counsel, their legal counsel uh, sent me to their website. Their website has no information. I feel that they're starting just to love me more and more with every email. And I say, okay, whatever. So basically they give me the choice. You either upload your passport uh, or uh, you can only attend online. And I say, you know what? Okay, I'm attending online. And we close that and we have this panel and we talk about, you know, the importance of diversity and that's it. Uh, but something in me still kind of was... You know, like it felt wrong, you know, like, like you don't treat people like that. I just ask a normal question. You know, you can't do that. You know, I tried to exercise my legal right, for God's sake, for once. <laughs> um, <laughs> nobody ever does that. Like everyone mm -hmm. is always confused about GDPR. So um, I reached out to my friend who happens to be a lawyer and who happens to be an expert in all things GDPR and asked them, hey, is that legal? Like, is that something changed during the pandemic? And he said, well, not really. So we went on their website, we did a little investigation. We basically found a couple of things that we think did not comply with the legislation and we filed a claim uh, for APD. It's uh, the Spanish Data Protection Agency. And it only took them two years to investigate that. Oh. Uh, and uh, literally last month before the conference, uh, they announced their decision that the organizers of uh, Mobile World Congress are actually in breach of GDPR and they were fined 200,000 euros. Um, and oh my God. So that, that's so obviously I'm looking forward to being invited now as a keynote speaker to that. No. Yeah, uh, right. Good luck with that. <laughs> however, however, what did happen, I started getting the calls from all journalists. So basically I got in Forbes, Alpha is like like I got about 60 publications from that, and I became an accidental privacy advocate. You know, right. Anastasia Assange. Uh, so basically now I'm getting the speaking gigs and requests from some very serious organizations yeah. asking me to uh, come over and uh, speak about, you know, why is privacy important? Accidental That's, privacy yeah, advocate. Yeah, how interesting. Are you, are you going to lean into that, Anastasia, and, and, um, and sort of take on that mantle or what? 
I, I am, I mean, in a way it is related to my topic already and I was teaching as part of the course. Yeah. Um, but I think what we need to do really is, um, because I'm not a lawyer, I cannot play to my strength when I'm talking about the regulation. What, can, what I can do, however, is, you know, to encourage people to ask questions because my big idea is that, you know, since the tech progress is defining the lives of each and every of us, it should be up to us to have a say in that. Mm. You know, we're now, uh, we'll see, you know, the vast implementation of AI. It should not be up to the guys, you know, like who are developing AI only, you know, to decide how AI is going to take the decision about me, whether, you know, like, to, to predict, you know, if I have a likelihood of a criminal record or give me a mortgage or anything like that. Um, I think this needs to become a really a social discussion and, you know, data privacy is part of that. So that's my big aspiration. Mm, interesting. Interesting. So let's have a chat about the story, though. That's what we like to do here. Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts? What oh, I, do you I'm like so, about so the story? I'm generally going to start with, um, the things that I want to know. I hear that story and I want to know. So, Anastasia, you were you were a little bit, you, you didn't tell me how you felt about, like, how did you feel when World, you know, and Mobile World Congress is saying, no, you must, you must, you must. Like, tell me how you felt. That felt very disrespectful. Uh, especially because I had a history uh, of relationship with them. So I did already speak there in 2019. Um, actually, in fact, built the panel for them um, in digital well-being. And I felt that, you know, it was um, something I felt belittled in a way, you know, and I felt uh, okay, ro yeah. wronged. And I think this was the yeah. trigger, you know, yeah. like was something like oh you're weird you know like why would you even you know like start asking that questions it was that that, that type of uh meta communication going on right yeah. right and so why don't you just do what we say basically yeah, you know just like be happy you know like you're invited to speak for free i'll yeah, be obviously. grateful <laughs> like, be, be happy grateful. with that yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. like what okay. do you want cool because i think that that adding that really does amp up the stakes a little bit where you talk about how you felt um as as part of that um yeah, I, that was... I, I like your little tagline as well you know the accidental privacy advocate it's a nice little um, um landing yeah yeah it is a nice one and also the other thing i really like about it was that there was a point in the story there where i thought you were going to acquiesce right that's right, because it, there was this pressure, you know, that I felt. You sort of said they asked once, they asked twice, they asked, you know, three times. And I thought you were going to say, okay, I'll just do it. And when you said you didn't do it and did it online instead, I was sort of going, yes, good on you, Anastasia. Like, that's how I felt, right? Like, uh, uh, stick it to them, right? Um, and I think that's a, real, that's a nice thing about stories generally. It's just these little... You send people down one path and you take a quick right or left-hand turn. Uh, so that was a lovely part of the story. You know what's the funny part of the story? After it got published, I got calls from uh, probably at least 10 people I haven't met for a while. <laughs> I said, oh my God, we read the story. Oh my God, you're a hero. Uh, 
And there is something about, you know, this story that really resonates with people. Uh, and I got so many people like, oh, my God, they tried doing it with me as well, but I complied. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, no, uh, yeah. no, it's like you become kind of like, you know, the hero, you know, like, and then like you kind of lead in the path or not for somebody. Yeah, yeah. Giving yeah. Yeah, sort of, you know, the whole idea of, you know, leading by example, right? You know, people see the example. Yeah, and, and standing go, oh, up for your values. That. Yeah. That's a, yeah. And by the way, Love it made that. perfect sense that you didn't do it, right? From the conversation we had before you told that story, it makes, like it like Mark says, it aligns exactly with who you are and what your values are. So, And just... that was the thing, you know, I felt like I would just step on my own values if I did that. And yeah. and it was a difficult trade-off because, you know, like you don't get invited, you know, every day to an Oscars. <laughs> like you don't. Yeah. And, you know, if you say no, like you realize like you're closing your doors forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for yourself, right? Like, I mean, like, hey, Mobile Congress, I'm happy to do a keynote for you just in case you happen to, but, you know, no. Yeah. And we can do one about privacy. But yeah. that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Realistically. Yeah, there might be a, there might be a change um, in the, the people running uh, Mobile World Congress over the next three or four years. Yeah, they might rotate and change and look back and go, you know what, actually, we might be able to learn from this. Hey, yeah, maybe that'll happen. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't hold my breath. Don't hold your breath on that one. The... Yeah. Um, uh, but I like I like the ancillary benefits that came out of it. You know, the pickup by the media, the you know, the accidental expertise, and uh, it kind of reminds me of the story of Dave Chappelle when you know he had his skit show and and they said they wanted to you know run some more uh, uh, an extended seasons on that, but he didn't get to own it, and so he said no to that, and it was millions of dollars. Said no to it. And more or less was cast to the wilderness. But it, when he was came back, it was an even bigger return, right? It had all these downside um, benefits for him, doing something that was out of the ordinary. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I just remember the story how I got fired from uh, one of my jobs. That's, right, that's a nice right. story. If you, mm -hmm. if you want to hear that, that's a very nice story. When I was well, still working in the corporate. Be before we do that, the, the, the story you just heard, because... For me, there's some really good business applications of that story. Yeah. So, so, um, firstly, if it doesn't feel right, maybe it's not. Mm. Um, you know, saying no is a viable. You know, like say if it doesn't feel right, say no. You know, stand up for your rights. Um, I, I, one of my favorites is do the right thing, not the easy thing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of a business point, sometimes you've got to do the right thing, not the easy thing. Yeah. And you know what? Good things can come of doing the right thing. So, um, you know, I'm just rattling off potential business points. Yeah. You can choose, right? There's choice. We do have choice and we feel like we just got to accept all this stuff that's thrown at us. But no, you actually have choice. I'll give you a great example. And then, yeah, tell the, that's uh, right. tell tell the story. Yeah. Tell the story. And I think there's a business point there around. You know, you may not see, and in fact, it's impossible for you to see what the potential upside might be. All you see at the moment is the downside. And and the downside seems overwhelming. It's actually a really nice story to tell someone mm. who's facing a big downside, right? So, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely one for that. And, you know, was, and, the, and was... another one that, yeah, you go ahead, Anastasia. 
<laughs> now, can. I just wanted to say that it's uh, what another upside happened to be that, you know, because I have this community of coaches, 120, uh, it was very inspiring for them. So actually, they started doing something, you know, mm. so it was also kind of a huge community building element. Interesting. Nice. Interesting. Just nice. just because I happen to be myself. Uh, yeah, right. You know, inc inconvenient, as it happens. Yeah, and the thing about you, just the, 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 the choice to ask questions. You know, it doesn't feel right, so ask questions. And, uh, I mean, you can't, I mean, it's there's so many things that are, you know, surrounding us every day. We're bombarded by stuff. So you, you can't kind of stop and question everything, but there are some things where it is worth taking the time to yeah. stop and ask questions. Mm. And you know what? It's okay not to be competent in everything. It's okay. You know, it's not a scene if you ask questions. Now, because we very often we think that, oh, my God, like, it's a shame, you know, like, as a grown-up person, as an expert in digital well-being, I should know what my rights are, right? Like, But if such a big organization is telling me, like, you shouldn't, then probably I'm the one who is stupid. Yeah, I'm the one who didn't do her homework. Yeah, and it's... You know, like, yeah. so there is lots of self-doubt going on there, but you know, it's okay. You know, like yeah. even, even actually if I made a mistake, it's okay. You know, the normal attitude is actually just to get a response and saying, hey, you know what? No, actually this is how it is according to GDPR. No, we're not in breach of anything. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's great. So, so a, a really versatile experience, like versatile in terms of number of number of ways you can use that story in a in a potential business application. So yeah, that's 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 something that people will be able to put in their story banks and yeah, uh, and, exactly. and and use. Uh, now, before we finish up, I want to hear about your book. Tell me a little bit about what that's what you've done there. What's it called? Let's start with that. So the book is called Homo Destructus. <laughs> really? That's great. Though. Yes. Uh, fight for your choices and identity uh, in the digital age. Yeah. Uh -huh. And it was written before Homo Deus. <laughs> you got it. Got it. it was right. written before. Yeah, yes. so he like, stole that idea. He stole that <laughs> idea from you. Yeah. Exactly. Well, <laughs> from somewhere like the universal cloud of knowledge. That's it. Uh, anyways, um, so the remarkable thing about this book, so the book is actually talks about all the different ways that technology is changing us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gives, uh, you know, like from our social connections to our attention we spoke about, to our ability to stay creative, to our ability, you know, like how it impacts our sense of time and space. Um, and what's the future, you know, as we're uh, offloading to technology, our right to take decisions or even our contact with our own bodies when our devices tell us, you know, like if we slept well or not, uh, if we need to drink water, if we need to stop. And it includes 32 practical challenges that you can do to kind of reconnect with your humanity. But there is a story to this book. <laughs> I'd hope so. Do you want a story? Um, so I basically I made all the mistakes as a first time author uh, of how not to write the book. Uh, so the mistake number one is I first sat down and wrote a book and then I started looking for the publisher. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> Apparently the way it works these days is first you come up with the idea, then you find an agent and uh, then uh, the agent helps you find a publisher. For me, it was the other way around. So it took me about uh, probably one and a half to two years to write this book. 
And these were very lonely and hard years. You know, when you write in the book, it's like, it's basically like giving birth nonstop for one and a half, two years. It's painful, it's lonely, and nobody can help you and don't have no idea when it's going to finish. Uh, so like, like you're pushing, pushing, and like it's still not born. Ah, how long, <laughs> how, how much more is it going to last? Um, so anyways, I, I had this written. Um, and only after that, I started looking for the agent. And it was in London, and I probably sent it maybe to 300 agents. I still have some rejection letters, which uh, I kept them for as, as a memory. Uh, these rejection letters, probably maybe there were 10 out of 300. Uh, others just didn't even bother replying, mm, of right. course. Uh-huh. You know, why would they? And the rejection letters were basically, we don't know who you are and you're a nobody. So once you have 10 million followers, come back. Um, I ended up paying to somebody for a consultation to look at my book. Um, she gave me a couple of good tips, uh, but basically the guest was the same, you know, like go build your following and then we'll have a talk. Um, I tried to network my way into publishing, didn't work either. Although in principle, I'm reasonably good networker. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to waste two years of my labor. Um, had this happened before I wrote the book, of course I would have quit it. But you know, the book was already there. You know, the child was born. I needed to show it to the world. Uh, and I had, I was, I was completely broke. I had no money whatsoever to, because you know, it was still the business was still kind of up and coming. Um, publishing a book at your own expenses, it costs money. So literally, my first thought was, okay, you know, where can I get some money to actually self-publish it? Can I ask my friends? I asked somebody and they said, well, why don't you do crowdfunding? So like, yeah, why don't I do crowdfunding? So I found somebody who's a crowdfunding consultant, uh, had a conversation with her and she helped me set up the campaign. Uh, and this campaign was super successful. So we raised enough money for me to hire an editor mm-hmm. uh, to print the first batch. But the best thing is because the whole crowdfunding campaign was package like in two weeks of very very intense you know communication marketing it actually happened you know as a side benefit uh to give me a big boost in media so i ended up having an interview with bbc all these big guys uh you know just with an idea like can i actually you know find a little bit of money to of money to help uh me publish the book and uh, it turned out, uh, the self-publishing turned out to be the best decision. So I think since, uh, what was it, five years ago when I uh, actually saw the light, yeah, um, I sold probably more than 10,000 copies, which uh, have in all the rights for the book myself. And uh, it counts yeah. as an How audio book. Yeah. Thank you. And, yeah, well done. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, no. So it's, uh, and you know, knowing actually the publishing world and knowing how little the authors do get and they still need to do all the work. Yeah. And actually, how they're being treated if their books are not being sold well. Uh, I think, oh my God, like if I ever go to write a book again and I'm going to write a book again, I'm 100% only going for self-publishing. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the way ah, people fantastic. are doing it. Yeah, well, that's great. And, and so I I do know that um, you can find a copy of the book or you can you can buy the book from the Consciously Digital website. So um, consciously-digital.com. Did I get that right? Yeah, forward, forward slash book. Forward slash book. Um, 
So it was pretty easy to find once I was on the Consciously Digital. So if anybody's interested, please go there and and uh, get a copy now that you know the the provenance of that uh, of that book. But I guess this is a, a good time to uh, to to wrap up. Yeah, it's been great having you on the uh, the show. Uh, it's uh, been fantastic. So a, you know, story after story after story. <laughs> Right. So is there anything we need to uh, share with our listeners before we finish up, Mark? No, just a, a, a final thank you to Anastasia for joining us and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, for a great episode. Thanks, Thanks very so. much and enjoy your you know, the rest of your summer in Barcelona. Yes, very good. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Mark. So thanks, everyone, for listening in to Anecdotally Speaking. And, of course, tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. Bye for now. Anecdotally Speaking was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.